the prompt was how to build a closet. Yeah, and I was so excited when I saw it because I immediately knew exactly what I wanted to write. I was like, is that what we're doing today? Like, can we get started on that, please? Like, let's go. Welcome to Voices of the Future. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. In this series, I'm interviewing young writers and poets from Maine, all of whom have participated in programs of The Telling Room, a nonprofit writing center in Portland. The Telling Room's mission is to empower youth through writing and to share their voices with the world. All of the authors in the series are featured in A New Land, an anthology of 30 poems written at The Telling Room. When I read or hear the work of these writers, I am moved by their enthusiasm, skill, and courage. Some of them were born in Maine, others have come here from Africa and the Middle East. I'll speak with urgency about their lives and their futures. Jojo Rich graduated from Portland High School, and now she's a student at Bay Path University. In this episode, Jojo reads How to Build a Closet, a poem she wrote at the Telling Room's Queer Characters Camp. Then we talk about what characterizes the genre of queer poetry. How to Build a Closet by Jojo Rich. First, you construct the baseboards out of bias. They build up around you from the moment you're born and all the little things people say more than the things that they scream. That haircut makes him look gay. You're going to make your husband very happy someday. Don't look at her like that. People will think you're a lipstick Leslie. The villains in all your favorite Disney movies are queer-coded. Scar, Ursula, Jafar, all of them. And the only time you see queerness on TV, it's a punchline or a tragedy. You have your baseboards. The doors are made of fear. They sprout from the bias that has always surrounded you and lock you inside. Every time someone you love scoffs at the idea of queerness, every time you see old men on street corners or television screaming homosexuality is a sin, every time a rumor starts that one of your classmates is gay and you are expected to shun them, the doors get heavier. You don't even get to know yourself before you start to fear what you could be. You fill the closet with shimmery, soft knockoffs of silk and velvet. And these are the lies. Yeah, he's cute, I guess. We're just really good friends. I just haven't found a boy I like yet. Whether you tell them to yourself or the people around you, they seem to make the closet gentler, patting the walls and giving you comfort. But the more you tell, the more the closet fills up, until they're pressing in on all sides and you can't breathe and you realize they don't feel as good as you thought they did. They're fake. Acceptance is the handle. You dropped it somewhere along the way in construction, but you find it again eventually. Your mother smiles, says, she sounds lovely. You can breathe again. You use your courage to screw it back into the empty slot and the doors of fear and swear the closet itself is fighting to keep you in. That's silly, of course. It's just a closet. Finally, the handle fits. The door swings open. And you learn for the very first time that there is a whole world open and flooded with sunlight right outside of the closet door. Thank you. And uh, when did you write this poem? The summer before my senior year of high school. And how long had you been coming to the telling room? I'd been coming to the telling room since middle school. And then I did two summers with the queer characters camp in a row. It was largely about learning how to represent queer people in literature in a way that's positive and healing. And did you write this? Was there a prompt? The prompt was how to build a closet. 
And I was so excited when I saw it because I immediately knew exactly what I wanted to write. I was like, is that what we're doing today? Like, can we get started on that, please? Like, let's go. And I'm really happy with how it came out. Did you do a lot of drafts for the poem? or Not too many, actually. I initially didn't say knockoffs of Silk and Velvet. It was just Silk and Velvet. I wanted it to be entirely clear that this was not a positive or healthy thing. Lying to cope, like, isn't positive or healthy. And feeling like you have to lie isn't positive or healthy. I didn't want the, like, luxurious feeling of just saying Silk and Velvet, because I feel like that does carry positive connotations. So I, I wanted it to be undeniable that this was a negative experience. So I put in knockoffs to like indicate that it wasn't as luxurious as it seemed. My biggest revisions were initially, I didn't have quotes anywhere but the first stanza. All of the quotes in the first stanza are all things I've just heard in like day-to-day life. And the she sounds lovely line, I actually based that on an interaction I had with one of my English teachers where uh, I wrote a vignette for her class that was very obviously about a girl who had a crush on a girl. And even though I was like pretty much out, like I wasn't trying to hide it, I was a little nervous about how that would be received. And she like pulled me aside after class, like be like, oh, good job, whatever. Very sweet conversation. And then um, she stopped me before I left and was like, oh, and by the way, she sounds lovely. I actually wrote about that experience in the telling room where the prompt was a time you felt you were seen as yourself. It was such a simple sentence, but it like carried so much weight and like so much acceptance just in those words. So it was very, I was very happy to get a chance to include that because I wanted that sort of feeling there. What a wonderful thing for your your teacher. I know. To say. Uh, I, w- I, I was very moved. <laughs> Probably got more emotional than she was expecting, but it was, oh God, it was just such a relief. It's like such a weight off your chest to like hear something like that, especially when you're like <laughs> so nervous. So did other kids, did they see Closet the same way? As you can probably tell, I viewed it as a little bit more of a negative kind of restrictive thing. Mm-hmm. I felt like some of the other kids in the camp viewed it as almost like a place of comfort where it's like, okay, here you're safe, like you can retreat here if you need to sort of thing. One of the other people in the camp wrote about like decorating the inside of a closet to like make yourself feel more at home there. So it was really fun seeing the different interpretations. We had such different perceptions. So with queer camp, there are already kids who know their sexuality. From my understanding, the people who apply have kind of come to a conclusion about themselves and want to be around other people like them and get that kind of support. This is something we've all kind of figured out about ourselves. And through this, we got to learn a lot of history about the LGBT movement and like how we conceptualized what these different sexualities and orientations were. And how we use language about it, right? Yeah. Like how it's characterized. Yeah, we talked um, a lot about uh, like reclaiming words like queer and dyke and how they're becoming positive and like being adopted back into the LGBT community, which was a really interesting discussion because you think these words have power, but they're just noises. So like they're really what you make of them, which seems so obvious when you hear it said like that, but it's not something you ever really consider. Like you just hear it and you absorb it. Writing a poem like this gives it such uh, such power. The reader gets to go inside that same closet. And that was a very important part of making it because I feel like from an outside perspective, it's so easy to kind of like 
be dismissive of how challenging that can be. And like I said, I was very fortunate. I knew people in my life were open-minded. I knew they were going to be supportive. But there's so much doubt for, like, so many people. And people are so quick to, like, diminish how daunting that can be. So I thought it was very important to, like, show people, like, not always. Like, it's not always that simple. Have you written other poems around this theme of being closeted? Uh, not specifically. I've written undeniably queer poems, <laughs> but not specifically about the closet experience. I have, like, explored it a little bit just in, like, personal writings when I'm writing from, like, the perspective of someone in the closet and trying to, like, really get across that feeling. And what would characterize a queer poem? Well, <laughs> I just meant in the most basic sense of I'm usually writing poems about girls who like girls. But um, I feel like poems that really emphasize self-acceptance and stuff could be characterized as queer poems because, like, more and more that's becoming such a big part of the LGBT community is really pushing for self-acceptance and, like, self-love and all that. So I think there are certain elements that you could be like, okay, I'm reading this in a queer context. Well, it seems like uh, like the support systems now seem much greater, do you oh, think? Oh, definitely. I've never had a negative experience having someone find out that I was bi, which is a tragically uncommon experience. Like almost everyone has at least one person who, even if they're not someone they're close to, someone who was turned away by that. But I think it's becoming more and more normalized. And it's very sweet because I'll get questions from like family members who like want to understand, which I think is also very major and something that was very uncommon. Whereas before I feel like it was just an immediate doors are shut, like no. But now I feel like more and more people are willing to try and understand and try to become more, more accommodating and more accepting. Right. And it was very important to me to have the ending be stepping outside of the closet and not just conclude with the full construction because, you know, I wanted to give that hope too, that like you, ha you always have the option and the ability. Like I know it can feel like really restricting and you can feel like you're stuck, but you can always like get out if you need to which I felt is something a lot of people need to hear. Where are you in school now? I go to Bay Path University in Longmeadow. And what's your uh, major? Uh, I'm majoring in child psychology. I want to be a family therapist, um, hopefully writing on the side if everything goes according to plan. <laughs> and have you been in writing groups other than the Italian Room, like in college? Or have you been in uh, writing courses? So I've taken creative fiction at Bay Path, and then in high school. I took two creative writing classes. Other than that, not like any clearly defined like writing groups. I was in creative writing club in high school, but mostly it's just through the telling room is like my main outlet. Like the telling room seems to give young writers a real sense of how to put a piece together, how to revise, how to think about what you're doing, strategies. When you get with, together with other writers, like at, at college, do you find you have a more refined sense of I do think to a certain degree I'm able to do it with a little bit more ease just because I've had more experience working with the telling room and they've given me like so much good advice. Hearing the advice they'd give me about revising it, but I wouldn't even have considered that. So like I learned a lot through observation in the telling room, which is also very important. The telling room definitely helped hone my vocabulary, my language, how I want to present myself in my writing. And they helped me really find my voice in it. Everyone here has always been so supportive. And like, 
they're just so great. Like I, I could sing the telling yeah. praises for like years. I love them. So do you mostly write poetry? I actually kind of struggle with poetry a little bit usually. I'm such a perfectionist, specifically with poetry. I'm like, oh, it needs to be perfect. And it never it's never gonna be, and I need to accept that. But um usually I stick to more like short stories and vignettes. And I was very lucky this past year where um I really connected with my creative writing professor in university, and he is a part of a literary journal. And I was fortunate enough to have one of my short stories from my capstone published. So I was very excited. Great. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm very pumped. I go and look at it every now and then. I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like that's me in there. It's super exciting. But uh, yeah, poetry is not usually my, my forte. So the stories that you're writing, give me a sense of what they're about. There's a lot of variation, but the capstone is probably my best example. For that, I wanted to write about... Um, all the different little ways that love can be expressed because in media we make we put a lot of emphasis on the grand romantic gesture when really like it's usually the little things that like really show that you love someone so i wrote about i think i wrote 5 in total and i wrote about 5 different couples and like the little ways that they showed each other they love them what are you writing now i'm actually preparing for uh, a trip that was supposed to happen this past summer is now happening next summer cuz of covid I'm going to be going to Dublin for a week to writing, do a writing workshop. I'm very excited. So I've been working on the piece I want to workshop once I get there. I want to write a short story about a fisherman who takes in a little sulky girl who has lost her seal skin and like helps her get it back so she can go back to the ocean. It's a little daunting because <laughs> it's probably going to be my longest short story to date. But I, I've got the general plot points I wanted to hit down, and I know I want my last line to be something about how his fishing nets never went empty ever again. More and more I've wanted to write stuff that is positive, show like what things could be without this prejudice, and maybe it's a little bit of escapism, <laughs> maybe it's a little bit of a coping mechanism, but um, I find that like the more negative things are around me and the more turbulent, especially in like this grand giant way that's so, so prevalent in day-to-day -day life. I want to produce more positive content because obviously it's so important to talk about the negative and it's so important to have these discussions. But I think it's equally important to like kind of have a means of comfort sort of thing when everything is so terrible and so much tragedy is like happening every single day. Voices of the Future is hosted and conceived by me and produced by Josephine Holtzman and Isaac Kestenbaum at Future Projects with help from Carly Perruccio. The music in this episode is by Jordan Kramer. The series is made possible by the Academy of American Poets with funds from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation. To learn more about the Telling Room and its programs, visit tellingroom.org. I'm Stuart Kestenbaum. Thanks for listening.